Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is going to be another travel story episode, and it's going to cover my recent trip to Rome with Kwanza, who was the guest on episode 56. Check that out if you haven't already. It's about Georgia. Uh, we went to Naples together a couple months ago, and now, again, we found relatively cheap tickets uh, from Poland. Um, we had to fly from Berlin, but all in all, it cost about $100 round trip uh, to and from Rome. And we were staying with her friend Lotto, also from Georgia. Shout out to Lotto, who let us stay at his place. And he's studying music in Rome. So we left uh, in the evening uh, to spend the night at Schönefeld Airport in Berlin, which I thought I would handle better than I did. But as I feared, um, I don't handle sleep deprivation all that well. But we made it through. We made it all right um, yeah, in the morning all the way to Rome. Um, we headed first to Lado's place to drop off our stuff, and after a coffee, we took the metro into the city, and the first thing we did was have lunch at this cafeteria, which it's honestly my favorite format of eating out because it's generally very practical and filling, and it's affordable food that locals uh, they'll tend to go to that um, for lunch or uh, a quick lunch or a quick dinner and uh, and here we had uh, Roman pizza which is it's sold by weight and it goes long ways like if you can imagine the shape of like a racetrack or like a yeah like a racetrack running track like this oval not really oval just you know what I mean like a stadium sort of long ways and um they uh slice however much you want and then they calculate by uh by weight the the cost of the of the pizza and there's a lot more variety of toppings uh, here as compared to neapolitan pizza where they stress simpler ingredients with but like really top-notch quality and the pizza in rome is it's a bit tough it's a bit, it's it's crunchier, unlike in uh, in Naples where the pizza is soft and delicate. Uh, Roman pizza was good. Uh, it's better than pizza you can get outside of Italy, but uh, it would be ridiculous to say that it's it's better than Neapolitan pizza. So, um, yeah. Uh, on, next to that, on, I'm not sure what it's called, but we also had like small portions of this like leafy greens cooked lightly with. Like olive oil, um, it's something that I actually grew up eating. Like these, these, this like leafy green vegetables that uh, that my mom would grow in the backyard. But I don't know what the um, like she would cook it in the same way, like a little bit of oil, garlic, steamed a bit. Um, but uh, it's a surprise that these like cooked leafy greens are such a big thing in Rome as well. Um, I didn't see it in Naples. Uh, I, I hardly saw any any vegetables consumed in Naples at, at all, other than a leaf of uh, a leaf or two of basil on a pizza. But um, yeah, it was, it was cool to see that this thing that I don't know the English name. I don't know the Taiwanese name of either actually. Um, but uh, reading the um, the Italian versions of the names didn't uh, didn't help 
me understand the English names of these things. Anyway, um, and of course, uh, April is a like sort of sweet window of uh, of the artichoke season in Rome. So we also enjoyed some artichokes, uh, steamed with black pepper and olive oil and garlic, and it's just it's just glorious. I always feel great. I like better as a person after eating artichokes and just more alive in some way, shape, or form. And uh, after lunch, we walked a couple blocks down the street to the Colosseum. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I need to explain to you all what the Colosseum is, but if you've been living under a rock somehow, the Colosseum is a big arena that was used in ancient Rome for their favorite pastime back then of really just having witnessing horrific murder was their thing. People really enjoyed seeing gladiators fight to death, animals being slaughtered, animals killing other animals, animals killing Christians, all kinds of this, this violence. And uh, incredibly, this structure is still um, quite intact in the center of the city. And if you're curious about what went down in the Colosseum, you can listen to podcasts um, by... Daniele Bolelli, History on Fire. I think he has some episodes about what happened in, at least in ancient Rome, like just horrific shit that happened in ancient Rome. And then Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, there's actually an episode about pain, like human pain, and the the spectacle of inflicting pain throughout history. It's really nasty stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it's impressive to see this thing. But um, I would say it's the most touristy spot I've been to. Um, one of the like one of the most touristy spots I've been to in my life, and uh, yeah, this goes for a lot of other parts of Rome. I would say the Vatican would be number one, but um, the Colosseum, especially, it was just overrun with people trying to sell tours and tour packages of all sorts, and it was kind of fun to imagine what kind of um, what kind of ideas or what kind of impression the ancient Romans would have, um, that would have thought of uh, modern people behaving this way um, around the ruins of a building that they used to use thousands of years ago. Anyway, um, from there we walked down to see the rest of the ruins um, in the city center, which includes the Forum, which was like the ancient Roman version of the town's main street in modern terms where everything, or like a main square, where everything could be found in terms of goods and services, and people just hung out and interacted with their community. And uh, the structures are just so beautifully preserved, and it's really amazing that it's lasted thousands of years, and uh, it's massive. It's hard to imagine what it took to build this kind of stuff without the help of the machine tools and, like, simple things of construction that we have today and um, with the scale of the form you can really get a feel for the space and how the ancient romans may have navigated around and up from the forum is uh, capitoline hill which is this super impressive complex of buildings that has the capitoline museum which apparently holds lots of like famous art 
Uh, I don't know, we didn't go inside, but outside in the square there's a statue of Emperor Marcus Aurelius, who, for the past few years, I've taken lots of inspiration from his notes, um, from what's now known as one single volume called Meditations, is a useful read for pretty much everybody, everybody because um, even though he wrote down these notes as sort of like a, his own diary or reflection for himself only, the insights that he had into things like human nature, impermanence, fame, politics, time, um, like temperament, all these factors in life are really extraordinary and it's it's cool that they reveal the um, the human behind the historical figure and that whether you're an emperor in ancient Rome or like the student like me in 2018, everyone uh, contends with the, the same basic dynamics in life. So check out Meditations by Marcus Aurelius if you haven't heard of him before or if you've been meaning to look into Marcus Aurelius, I highly suggest just jumping right in. And next, we headed down to the Pantheon, which was, um, in the time of ancient Rome, this massive, impressive, domed temple to the gods, the ones that our planets today are named after, among others. Um, but it's since been um, converted into a Catholic church, and it's one of the most famous landmarks in Rome, uh, and it is the resting place of the painter Raphael. So there's all kinds of importance here. It's kind of like Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, in that many different faiths have been housed in this really impressive building. And the most impressive part to me was the dome itself. It's just mind-boggling how the ancient Romans could have built such a perfect dome structure. And... Um, at the top, there's this huge opening to the sky where the, um, the sun beamed inside, and it's really spectacular, but also really filled with tourists. Um, but uh, that's the kind of day that we were leading. So uh, rolling along, we walked a bit down this uh, stretch with all these famous-looking restaurants and shops all trying to entice the tourists walking past and eventually we got some gelato which is um ice cream for the uninitiated um i'm not sure if calling it gelato makes it like a special kind of ice cream um like just like endowing it with this quality of um uh, being special um in the ice cream realm but um to me it's just really really delicious ice cream. I got this pomegranate one, I think. It was pom yeah, it was pomegranate. That was uh, really refreshing and uh, really sugary as well, so I got just the mildest buzz from this. And I w as I was trying to navigate this small turn and take a bite out of my ice cream at the same time, um, the Trevi Fountain came into my line of sight, and I audibly said, holy shit, it's one of those things that I've seen so many photos of. I've seen it in like television programs and movies. Um, I actually don't really know the significance of it, but it must be something romantic because it, it, apparently girls love taking selfies at this spot. Um, we saw a proposal go down 
right in front of us as we stepped up, up to the fountain to take a look. But it was this situation where I had no expectation, like basically completely underestimated in my own head um, what uh, this fountain would be. And, uh, and I got blown away by just how impressive the thing is. So your mileage may vary, but for me, it was one of the most pleasant surprises during my trip to Rome. And the last thing we did for that day, the first day, was check out the, um, the steps at Piazza di Spagna, which is another famous landmark in Rome where people just gather, they sit on the steps and hang out among the flowers. The flowers weren't quite ready yet um, to brighten the place up, but um, it's quite an impressive spot architecturally, and it was uh, a really nice spot. Um, it was completely on the other end of the city, and uh, it was a good way to uh, end our first day in Rome. I was barely functioning uh, with the uh, lack of sleep, um, so uh, we had pizza for dinner, and uh, it was a nice way to induce myself into sleep and catch up on some sleep. So on day two, much better rested, we started the uh, sunny morning with a stroll through this park near Lado's house, just a couple blocks away. And this spot is special because it's part of the ancient Via Appia, the Appian Way connecting Rome with, I, th I think it's Naples, but yeah, somewhere more um, east and south, and uh, along the Appian Way were the ancient aqueducts that brought water into the ancient city of Rome, and the ruins of those aqueducts are still found here at this park, and it's really incredible that they're still standing, and for the most part, um, and it made some, uh, for some really nice photos in the fields with these golden spring flowers, and um, with the aqueducts against the blue morning sky in the background. And uh, after that, we took the metro deep to the other side of the city to take a look around and plan our strategy for how to tackle the Vatican, which is just about, if yeah, I've said before, it's more overrun by both tourists and tour vendors and uh, people selling things than, uh, than the Colosseum, which makes it the most touristy place I've ever been to. Um, if you've ever seen photos or footage of the Vatican, there's St. Peter's Square in front of the uh, Basilica, St. Peter's Basilica, where the, uh, the Pope hangs out, and um, the line to enter the Basilica wraps around the entirety of the square. Um, and then there's the Vatican Museum, which houses... Uh, artifacts from the hundreds of years that the Catholic Church has been around, and the Sistine Chapel, and uh, all this extravagant stuff, um, that's on the a, a whole other side of Vatican City, the walls of Vatican City. So we were just there to take a look from the outside, and uh, we would later come back on other days to visit the inside of uh, parts of Vatican City. And uh, so we went down, we hung out, uh, on some of the bridges um, linking the two sides of the Tiber River. And there are really nice views of the Vatican, um, as well as the castle of St. Angelo from these bridges. And afterwards, we 
figured out which bus we needed to take to go up the hill on the east side to the Villa Borghese Park. Uh, we've tried to go to the museum, but um, it's something that you have to book really far ahead of time, uh, and they only allow a limited number of people uh, entry every day. So we didn't get to go in, but we hung out on the grass at the park for a while and uh, strolled in relative uh, peace compared to um, going through like people trying to sell things to tourists in the city. And it reminded me a lot, actually, of Central Park. There are people renting all kinds of bikes, roller skates, these, like, four-wheeled vehicles. I don't know what to call them. Um, all kinds of recreational things. And then there were vendors selling ice cream and sandwiches. And it was another aspect of Rome that reminds me a lot of New York City, uh, Manhattan uh, specifically. Rome in general has a lot... Um, that reminds me of uh, Manhattan in New York City. Um, it's the tourists, the tourist sites, the people selling things to tourists. Um, the food is awesome. And uh, it wouldn't occur to you right off the bat that the cities are so similar, but there are aspects that um, make me feel like visiting either city can give you that same vibe. Um, anyway, later... Um, after the sun went down, we ret retraced our steps from earlier in the day and saw the Vatican from bridges at night, and then we just returned um, back to have dinner and rest at Lado's place. We went to the local supermarket, which is it's always interesting for me to see how supermarkets in different countries function and what kind of products they carry, and uh, they had this ready-made food section that looks it looks really tasty they had all these all the season, seasonal veggies rotisserie chickens um they had a pizza section as well and then uh, we went home to um lato's place and his roommate antonio uh shout out to him for cooking us dinner twice um but that night he cooked pasta with pesto and that's always a great way to wrap up the day pasta wine and uh and a good night's sleep. The next day we started with uh, getting something to eat, and it was at the supermarket that we went to the night before, and we brought it with us as sort of a brunch uh, at the first stop of the city, which was Circus Maximus. Uh, Circus Maximus um, was a sports stadium um, back in ancient times, and I have this image in my head of chariot races as well, but that may or may not just be part of my imagination. Um, most of the stadium is gone, but there are some ruins, and you can definitely see the outline of the former bleachers. I don't know if you would call them bleachers from ancient Rome, but the seating areas. And we sat there and ate, and had this big portion of cooked leafy greens, and the ones I don't know the names of, and uh, also a handful of artichoke hearts. And as I said before, Artichokes make me feel a certain way, and I just I just feel more ready to take on the day, and that's how I felt uh, right after I ate like four of them that morning. And uh, we then explored a bit on the fringes of the river of the city, um, where um, there's um, this area. It's kind of like the Forum, but uh, it's like a miniature version of the Forum in the center of the city, but it's free and open 
for anyone to look around. And I think it's just about the same vibe you get from the forum, but it's like just like a taster, like smaller version. And I think it's good for um, for those budget travelers out there like myself to uh, to get a taste of uh, seeing uh, ancient Roman structures. And then we crossed the bridge uh, over the Tiber River to Trastevere, which is considered its own thing historically. It's not quite Roman because it's separated from the, from the city center, but in a way it's the most Roman because it's really residential and local, lots of small artisanal shops, cafes, restaurants, bars, uh, bookstores, and uh, it's much more relaxed than the city proper. And uh, and there's lots of street art, which is fun to look at as well. Um, we got gelato at one point, and uh, this time I got proper ice cream. Unfortunately, I don't remember what flavor it was, but it was some of the best I've ever had. And uh, and we noticed this, <laughs> we noticed this tiny fluffy dog, standing at the door of the store, just looking out, like looking out as if it knew that it, it attracts attention, like it's lived its whole life this way, just attracting attention to the store. And so we just hung out on the on the side, enjoying our gelato and watching um, passers-by notice this funny-looking dog and uh, taking pictures of it. So it was a fun little moment of people watching, eating ice cream, and uh, observing this, uh, this small dog. Afterward, we made our way up the hill towards this viewpoint that we'd heard about called Janicolo, and it was a really um, pleasant and relaxed hike um, up, and the view was nice, but it suffered from the same problem, uh, for example, that the viewpoint at Telegraph Hill in San Francisco has, which is that the that trees are blocking parts of the view, but other than that, it was a comprehensive view of the city, and it was an enjoyable journey up. Uh, and from there, we hopped on some buses and trams towards the city center and ended up uh, getting off close to the Colosseum, which was substantially less crowded than around noon, just a couple of days before. We were there around oh, like 4 or 5 p.m. And... Um, Actually, getting off the tram, I had to take a piss and ended up uh, finding this secluded grassy area next to the tram stop and uh, just went in full view of the Colosseum. So that was kind of an interesting feeling, seeing such a titanic monument of civilization as well while taking a piss. It was actually really satisfying and uh, a moment I'll forever remember uh, on my on my trip to Rome. Anyway, we uh, made our way slowly through the city, uh, taking a look at things that we'd passed earlier um, during the uh, daytime around noon, and uh, seeing them now in a different light. And it was close to sundown, and we wanted to um, check out this bar that we'd passed the day before that offered um, aperitivo, which is this like tradition in Rome where you uh, you pay like a flat fee for us. It was eight eight euros and uh, you get a drink and you have access to the buffet which is it's really my t my type of institution it's it's not the pinnacle of culinary achievement it's not even nutritionally balanced 
in fact, I don't think it's healthy at all. Um, it's all kinds of carbs and some vegetables and meat here and there, but it's fucking good and you can take as much as you want. Um, yeah, you, you only get one life, people. Indulge yourselves. And uh, this is the kind of food that, um, that that I would imagine that Romans would eat. Maybe not um, at such a, a volume that we consume, but yeah, just a glass of wine and some nice hearty carbs. So they had pasta, they had grilled vegetables, they had this nice barley dish, which I tried not to eat too much of because it's really filling. It's like particularly filling, even though everything else was as well. And I was pleasantly surprised by these uh, little triangular uh, fried sandwiches that they had with, um, it was like white bread. Um, white bread sandwiches are just about the last thing that I like to eat, but I just hadn't thought that it needed to be deep fried and it would be delicious. So I had a whole bunch of those and it was a hugely triumphant meal and uh, we had to call it a day at that point. And uh, the next day, our last full day in Rome, we we kind of retraced our steps from the day before, but from Circus Maximus we went up to, I think it was called the Garden of Oranges, uh, which has another of um, the viewpoints of the city. And uh, also what was quite cool was uh, it's kind of an insider tip is, I think it's a diplomatic mission or embassy of Malta that has, um, it's on the hill and through the keyhole of their compound, you can see the dome of St. Peter's Basilica framed in the uh, keyhole shape, like all those miles away. And it's something that's um, lots of people probably miss, but uh, there is a small line that forms there. So next time you're in Rome, take a look. Um, we headed back down towards the river, uh, across the bridge, and back into Trastevere because the day before, I was enticed by um, a different bar's aperitivo offer for the lunchtime buffet. And after taking a quick coffee and another um, stroll to finally hit noon time to hit that buffet, we were back in the buffet game, and this time the selection was larger, and the food was, I think, of a higher quality, and uh, I was very satisfied by by this meal. Um, each... Um, each of the times I had about four plates of food, and this time there was um, there's some of the same dishes, uh, just in my opinion, a bit nicer in quality. And uh, there was carbonara, which is a typical Roman dish that I I love, but um, hadn't had to, um, yet in uh, in Rome, and, and I just went back over and over for more. It was just another strong buffet experience in my opinion and i would highly recommend this uh this place um let me see if i can get the name of it uh let me grab my wallet one sec sounds like the business card hanging out in my wallet and it is called so that first place was called cafe bianco which is more in the city center and um this one that i highly recommend in Trastevere is called Alembic, A-L-E-M-B-I-C. So 
those are your aperitivo um, suggestions in Rome. Maybe there's better ones. Uh, maybe you can let me know for my next trip to Rome. Um, but yeah, uh, typically, as I noticed, these places go from 8 to 12 euros, so it's quite good for the variety and quantity of food that you'll be consuming. Um, so with full bellies, we moved on to our, I guess, true activity of the day, which was to tackle the Vatican Museum. Now, the Vatican Museum, as I said before, is the meat of the visit to Vatican City. The wait in line was a bit long. I feel like it was like 40 minutes or so. One hour max. Um, but the whole time there's people trying to sell tickets to skip the line, but we had nothing better to do, so um, it was an acceptable wait. Um, the museum itself is huge, and it has pieces from ancient Egypt. They have mummies. They have what else do they have? They have like Assyrian reliefs, which are really cool to see all the time. They have really cool ones in London too. Um, they have like depictions of Babylon, sculptures from Greece, paintings from the Renaissance, tapestries, all kinds of things. It's it's too much to cover in one podcast. And um, but it, it did remind me of uh, coming through the Louvre in France, um, in Paris. Um, it's just an overload of world heritage and um, the architecture, too. The, the details in the ceilings keep you looking up in every room that you enter, and the floor was the same. You got amazing details in the floors, and there's so much meaning in every inch. And uh, one part that was particularly extravagant was this hallway that... Um, Without mentioning all the intricacies of the walls and ceilings, they had maps uh, like painted from the Renaissance time of each region of Italy, beautifully painted um, in sections of the walls in great detail all the way down the hall. Um, and uh, they had uh, what was super impressive to me um, was uh, later on you see the rooms painted by Raphael. Um, especially the School of Athens, which is just such an iconic painting that's just one of the many of its kind um, in this section of the Vatican Museum. He like spent all this time in these like four or five rooms just like painting the entire like all the walls, all the ceilings, and it was about the same time that Michelangelo was painting in the in the next room over or a couple rooms over. Uh, but then there's this like weird section where there's more modern artwork, which uh, is fine It's in its own right. There's some Dali paintings, but it kind of felt out of place. Um, so like the museum has this coherent logic up to this point, uh, but then that kind of got thrown out of whack by this section. But it was fine because um, the end of this whirlwind uh, through... Art history is uh, is the Sistine Chapel, as I mentioned before, which is uh, really amazing to look at. But I felt it was just it was a little too far up to see every single detail with the naked eye. Um, I can appreciate how vast and impressive that part is, and how impressive it was that um, to think that Michelangelo was laying on his back and inhaling all these toxic fumes of the paint for five fucking years of his life. Um, but it was difficult to see, and it was 
also packed with people and actually got into a bit of trouble for taking uh, photos of, uh, of, the, of the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. But I'm not sorry because one, it's not like a religious, a religious thing. It's a painting that doesn't hold like a sensitive spot in Christianity. And two, the reason that I learned that you're not allowed to take pictures um, of the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel is because the company that retouched or restored the painting of, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, um, as part of doing that, they um, they agreed to have the rights to sell the images. So yeah, I whatever I pressed a button that received the light that bounced off of this painting. Not a scandalous thing, after all. Uh, anyway, the Vatican Museum was awesome. Uh, just have to wait in line for a bit. Um, and you have to share your experience with way too many people um, at the same time. But it, it is great. Um, so that was a wrap for our last full day in Rome. We went back and... Uh, Antonio, again, made us uh, dinner, this time salmon cream pasta, which was delicious. And the next morning we had, uh, we still had time on our uh, three-day passes for the metro, so we quickly uh, visited St. Peter's Basilica uh, back in the Vatican. So we went uh, early, and um, the line at that time was just like 10 to 15 minutes, and we were in, and uh, we didn't have to wait uh, in line all the way around the whole square. Um, when we exited the cathedral, we did see that the line had grown to encompass the whole square. So um, good to be there early, like 8.30, I think is good. It opens at 9. And uh, yeah, the inside of the place is just tremendous. It, it was the most impressive cathedral I've ever visited. And there's this feeling of history just by being inside of it. You feel small in a lot of cathedrals, but in this one you feel especially just like a small part of this whole thing, be it humanity or society or the universe, whatever. And there's also this tablet I thought was really cool that has the name and birth and death date of every pope who's ever, is the word served? I guess, served as Pope since the beginning, and I counted about 140-some individuals who have been there. So it's a pretty amazing legacy. Um, and that was it. After having a last slice of pizza for lunch, we were off to the airport and back in Poland by the afternoon. So it was about four... Wait, let me count. Yeah, four, four full days and a and a visit to the, um, to the uh, Saint Peter's Basilica. Um, it was a thoroughly enjoyable trip. I highly recommend visiting Rome, and uh, just have your wits about you as a smart tourist, and you'll have a good time too. Uh, enjoy the food and enjoy the sights, and uh, yeah, I. Hope you've had a good time listening to this episode about my trip to Rome. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for listening. And uh, I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Fun Boat Diplomacy Podcast. <laughs>